Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. He writes dark, brilliant crime thrillers that have had us enthralled since 1999. We welcome international best-selling author and Irish novelist John Connolly, whose books have been published in 28 languages. The latest is his 17th novel in the popular Charlie Parker series of detective novels. And readers know that Parker is no ordinary, brilliant detective. He hunts both the living and the dead. Irish author John Connolly writes thrillers that feature a former New York City policeman hunting the killer of his wife and daughter and whose cases push him into the realm beyond this one. His latest, A Book of Bones, is almost 700 pages long, so don't drop it on your foot. You will break something for sure. English folk mythology drives the plot as we follow Parker's attempts to thwart the restoration of an enchanted book of evil that once reassembled will mark the end of the world. Welcome to Singapore and Money FM 89.3, John Connolly. It's a pleasure to be here, Michelle. Yeah, there you are saying my book is big. I, liked, I wanted to give somebody a book that you could, if you needed to read something on a tall shelf, you could use it for that too. You know, <laughs> if you wanted to make a roadblock, you know, because a, a book isn't just a book. It should have other purposes. So. Love that. Love that. Hilarious. Now, the Charlie Parker series has been a number one best-selling series since your first Charlie Parker book hit bookshelves back in 1999. I've always wanted to ask an author... Uh, you know, how did Charlie Parker come to be? I mean, he's resonated for over two decades. I wish there was a formula that I could share with people. It's really difficult. Because when you sit down to write a book, you, you don't know that people are going to want to read it. When you set out to, to write about a character, you don't know that 20 years later you're still going to be talking about them. I think readers, people in general, have a very good ear for untruth. Mm. We're quite good at spotting falsity in other people. And, you know, we, we sometimes underestimate our ability to do it. We have a very good instinctive sense for when somebody isn't telling the truth. And I think it's the same in, in books. Characters have to have a certain truth to them. Um, and I think people who have read the books recognize in Parker, you know, we all are going to go through the same thing. One of the things I love about fiction, people occasionally say, why, why would you read a book? Why would you read something that's made up? You know, and particularly men. Men are terrible for this. Yes. Men, we, men tend to veer closer to non-fiction if they read it all because they go well why would I read something that somebody has invented when I can read history or I can read science and I think what fiction tries to do is to find the universal and the specific because we all go through the same things we're going to fall in love we're going to fall out of love we will all endure bereavement we're all going to lose somebody that we care about uh, we're all going to go through a lot of the same joys and the same difficulties uh, but each of us will experience it in our own ways no one is ever going to fall in love the way that you fall in love no one is ever going to experience say the loss of a parent the way you do no one will experience the birth of a child the way that you do these are experiences we all have and yet each of us experiences it in a very different way and people who read fiction will have a lovely moment occasionally when they will pick up a book and they will think, you know, I thought that was just me. Or I thought, I, I know this to be true, but I could never have phrased it in that way. And when you have that moment, it's like the writer reaches out from the page and touches your hand Absolutely. very, very gently. Yes. People don't want sympathy when people say, I'm sorry for you. It's very easy to say, I'm sorry, when, when you know, we do it instinctively. You bump into somebody on the, you know, the underground, you say, I'm sorry. But to be understood is very different. Yes. To have somebody say, I understand, and to mean it. And so in a piece of fiction, when, when we have that moment, it's an extraordinary moment of connection. And I think in the end, that's what happens with characters. Readers find a character and they think, yes, I know that to be true. And when I'm with this person, I feel 
that they're almost in the room with me. I feel that there is a reality to them that goes beyond the page. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said. But your page also takes us beyond the realm as we understand it, beyond the human realm. And you've said mystery fiction is good for exploring compassion, empathy, beliefs, very much what keeps us rooted in the realm of reality. But you say, I'm not above escapism. I like unsettling the reader. So I wonder how shocked are we going to be uh, reading a book of bones? Oh, I, I quite like the idea that I'm, a few years back here, I'm going to I'm going to talk about somebody else's book. I remember reading a, a wonderful book called Dark Matter by a writer named Michelle Paver. And Dark Matter is set in the Arctic, an Arctic research station at the turn of the last century, uh, where these guys are going to be there all through this winter with no sun, and they keep seeing a figure out on the ice. And I remember reading that book in Maine in winter at night, and I'm not easily frightened. I'm thinking, you know, I'll leave this until the morning, perhaps, <laughs> you know, just because I'm a little bit tired at the moment. I like the idea of the reader just having that shiver. I don't want to repel the reader. I don't want the reader to be disgusted. Um, I don't want the reader to be horrified necessarily. But just to be that shiver, that sense that I might actually check the doors, that's, that's <laughs> quite a lovely thing to do. And, you know, mystery fiction for a long time didn't engage with the supernatural at all, didn't yeah. engage with mythology. It had a deep distrust of it. But, you know, I come from Ireland. Um, in, in some ways, it seems very strange to come as far as here, to come to, to, to Asia and to feel a sense of commonality. But here, people are very comfortable with mythology, with folklore, with the idea of the supernatural, uh, with the idea of, of, for want of a better word, ghosts, or whatever we may choose to call them. And it's very similar in Ireland. You know, it's very hard. I come from a Catholic background. It's very hard to be Catholic and entirely rationalist. And in Ireland, it's very, it's very similar. You know, we, are, we have this comfort with the supernatural. And so that naturally crept into my book. So when I sat down to write, it was always going to be a book that combined those elements in it. And for a long time, there were people in the mystery community who were much more conservative about it than that, who didn't feel that this had any part in it. But as people, we understand that the world is a lot stranger than rationalism allows. You know, people are not rational. We're emotional. We make decisions because we're frightened or we're afraid or we're in love. We don't always sit down and think, what's the rational thing to do? And so, you know, that translated into my books as well, I think. That sense that the world is slightly odder than we give it credit. For. And that's what your fans love about your book. You give us books that take us beyond the ordinary, and at the same time, your books are rooted in a sense of reality. So I wonder, is there anything in terms of social or political themes that are important to you that have been woven into this book? Intolerance, maybe, or the rise of strongman leaders in politics, anything like that? These books exist in the real world. I, I frequently get letters of complaint from very conservative American readers. They seem to dislike the fact that Parker is on the side of people who Victor Hugo, the writer Victor Hugo once said, the people without bread are always right. right. The people who are poor, the people who are suffering, they are always right. Um, you know, because they are the ones who are suffering. They are the ones who are enduring this injustice. Um, and at the heart of mystery fiction, right at, if you go right to the beginning of the private detective novel, it's about injustice. It's about standing up for people who don't have any power because the, the genre begins in California in the 1920s, which was one of the most corrupt states in the United States. It was run by railroad companies. And if you control the movement of goods and people, you control an economy. And anything that didn't service the railroad companies, anything that didn't service big business, was of no interest to the police was in no interest to the government because they'd been bought and paid for by these companies. So if you're in trouble, if you're poor, who do you turn to? You can't turn to the police. They have no interest in your problems. So you have to turn to somebody outside the system, and it's the private investigator. And the private investigator came out of the Western. You know, the idea of films like Shane, where the gunfighter comes into town. 
you know, gets rid of all this corruption and then rides out again. So at the heart of the mystery novel for me is this sense that the detective has an obligation to stand up for those who have, who have no power, who have suffered an injustice, whether because they're immigrants, whether because they're poor, whether because they're women, whether because their gender or their sexuality makes them vulnerable. He stands up for them where other people won't do. And conservative readers, some conservative readers really don't like that. But if you don't like it, read something else. This is just <laughs> not for you. If you want to read a book in which a, a, a detective serves the interests of the wealthy and powerful and crushes the poor, I'm sure there's a book out there for you. And if there isn't, you can write it yourself. But, you know? <laughs> but it's not one of mine. <laughs> Speaking of your books, you were born in 1968 in Ireland. But thanks for making me feel old. Yeah, hey. that's it, yeah. <laughs> Tell me I'm grey now. Yeah. Your debut Go novel, on. I'm, I'm going to ask a very contemporary question. <laughs> your debut novel was Every Dead Thing, uh, which was published in 1999. You've had a very long career. Do you think that technology, or us being in the digital age, is changing the way people appreciate literature, um, perhaps changing the sort of pleasure people take in escaping into a book? Um, you know what's, what's really interesting is that we've seen a big upsurge in people listening to books as audio. Uh, because, you know, people are sitting on the, they're driving or they're sitting on the, the subway or the tube and they don't always have time or the ability to sit down and, and, and read a book and don't always want to listen to music. And, and in England in particular, I think the biggest upsurge in listenership for audiobooks is young men from 18 to 35 who were never really reading before. Um, and so that has, has, I think, exposed a, a new audience, I think. But on the other hand, you know, I, I remember being shown the first Kindle that ever appeared uh, by a writer in, in, in Ireland. And it looked like a Fisher-Price toy. You know, it has little <laughs> buds on it. And if you press one, on, a unicorn would appear and it would play music. And, um, and I remember waving it at me and she said, you can be in the queue for the post office and have 200 books on this. And I remember thinking, how long is the queue in your post office? Maybe you have postal needs that aren't being met. But, you know, then you know, the, all of these devices became, so you could read a book on them or you could read a newspaper or you could watch a film or you could check Instagram. And they became distraction devices. And a book needs commitment. You know, a book needs immersion. And so I worry about these. What's happened is we've become distracted. We are very easily distractible. And the companies that have you social media understand that and so that's the difficulty we face how do we get people to, to set aside a little bit of time because actually it's very emotionally and psychologically healthy for you to put away your device to close it down and to sit and commit your concentration to something whether it's a book or a newspaper or a piece of music to put on a, a piece of music and just let it play I've recently got a new record player uh, because I suddenly realized I, I had a shuffle like everybody else on my iPod or my phone and I never listened to an album anymore I'd be flicking through tunes or I realized that I could put on my iPod and I could die and it would still be playing music months later and they'd only come and investigate when the smell got too bad but the thing about a, a rec an LP is that you have to put it on and it's only 20 minutes long and you're always, you're always listening to make sure it didn't skip or whatever it might be so you may as well give over the 20 minutes and, and I realized I, that there's a process of immersion. There's a process of just setting aside some time to listen, to not be distracted. And I think that's what's lovely about books, that they, they ask you not to be distracted. They say, look, for 20 minutes, for half an hour, enter a different world. You know, leave aside that other stuff and just enter this world. And, and you find that actually when you come out after half an hour of reading a book, you'll feel better. You don't feel better for spending half an hour flicking through your social media, it actually just stresses you. Absolutely. We've just got 60 seconds on the clock and I have about 15 more questions. Oh, so good luck with that. <laughs> I'm going to try with one. Uh, here in Singapore, we love the idea of productivity and you are such a prolific author. You've written almost one book a year from 1999 to this year, 2019. So what is the secret to your productivity? Uh, two kids, two dogs, and a mortgage. And Those things will focus you wonderfully. And a, and a really bad wine habit, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> I do something that I love doing. 
I don't always love writing. There are t days when it's difficult. There are days when I'd rather be doing something else. But once I have written, a bit like going to the gym, I feel better for having written. And, you know, to be paid to do something that I love, that's a luxury that a lot of people don't have. So I, I very much appreciate it. Well, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Welcome you to me, Singapore. Oh, it's lovely being back. And thank you for coming on and sharing your new book with our listeners. He is the brilliant John Connolly author. His latest book is A Book of Bones. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.